Okay, um, it's a pleasure to welcome Gonzalo Rodriguez Pereira as our speaker this evening. This is the second um, uh, meeting in this current series. Gonzalo is a fellow and tutor at Oriel College, Oxford. Um, perhaps more immediately relevant to this talk, um, he's the author of a book called Resemblance Nominalism, which came out in 2002. Um, he's been the co-editor of a collection called Real Metaphysics, so that too gives us a sense of his interests. And this evening he's going to talk about resemblance, nominalism, conjunctions, and truth-makers. Gonzalo. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I hope everyone has a handout. Yes. Uh, what, what I am going to do is to is to read the paper. But actually, um, what I am going to do is to read um, part of the of the paper that I uh, submitted to the to the Aristotelian Society, because I think you know what I am going to do is to read the part which I think is more substantive and the part that I I would like to, to have discussed um, after after the talk. So my, my talk. I mean, I understand that normally people speak speak here for about forty five minutes, but I will speak for a bit less than that. So, um, resemblance nominalism is a theory according to which there are no universals and no tropes. What theories of universals and tropes explain by invoking universals and tropes, resemblance nominalism explains by invoking resembling particulars and sets. But sets, although abstract, are particular nevertheless. So resemblance nominalism is nominalism in the traditional sense of the word, in the sense uh, that it rejects universals, not in the more modern sense of uh, rejecting abstract objects. What does resemblance nominalism explain? Resemblance nominalism and its competitor theories, trope theory and realism about universals, are solutions to the problem of universals. This problem, at least as I understand it, is a problem about truth makers. Namely, to account, it is the problem of uh, how to account for the truth maker of propositions attributing a feature or characteristic to a particular thing. Propositions like Socrates is white. So the problem, as I understand it, is a problem about the truth makers of propositions like Socrates is white, uh, Plato is uh, big, and so on. In a nutshell, the realist about universals says that the truth maker for propositions like Socrates is white will involve a universal, the universal of whiteness, in this case. The trope theorist says that such a truth maker will involve a trope, a white trope specifically. And the resemblance nominalist says that the truth maker ultimately involves only concrete resembling particulars. That is, particulars like Socrates and Plato, uh, particulars that resemble each other. Thus, if we suppose that Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle are the only white particulars, the proposition Socrates is white is made true by Socrates resembling Plato and Socrates resembling Aristotle. So that is a, a very, very uh, short summary of what resemblance nominalism says about the problem of universals. Um, there are no tropes, no universals when we attribute a feature to a thing. Um, if, what we if, it, if the assertion we make is true, the truth maker for that is the thing in question resembling other things. Now, if I say that chair is blue, what makes that true is that that chair resembles that chair, and that that chair resembles that other chair, and that that chair resembles some of the blue things uh, which are in the world. 
there are many problems facing the theory, but what I want to talk today is, 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 is one, only one of them. So consider propositions one and two in the handout. One says Socrates resembles Plato and Socrates resembles Aristotle. Number two says Socrates resembles Plato and Plato resembles Aristotle. What are the truth makers? On the view that conjunctions are jointly or collectively made true by the truth makers of the conjuncts, the truth makers are the truth makers of three, four, and five in your handout. And according to resemblance nominalism, the truth makers of resemblance propositions are the resembling particulars themselves. Therefore, Socrates and Plato are the truth makers of three, Socrates and Aristotle are the truth makers of four, and Plato and Aristotle are the truth makers of five. If so, three, four, and five have the same truth makers, namely Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And this is implausible, not because different propositions cannot have the same truth makers, which is false, but because the role of Aristotle as truth maker of these propositions seems intuitively to be different. Whatever the specific account one gives of what makes one and two true, it is reasonable to think that Aristotle pairs up with Socrates to make one true, while he pairs up with Plato to make two true. Thus, it would be better for resemblance nominalism if it could provide different accounts of what makes one true and what makes two true that respect this intuition about the different role of Aristotle and consequently of Socrates and Plato as truth makers for these propositions. So I shall try to develop a philosophically interesting way in which the resemblance nominalist can tell different truth making stories about one and two. More specifically, I shall develop a view according to which, although one and two have the same truth makers, these truth makers make them true in different ways. So that is what I am going to try to do in what follows. But before doing that, let me point out that there is at least one straightforward way of giving one and two different truth makers. One can maintain, for instance, that the truth makers of three, four, and five are the resemblance facts that Socrates resembles Plato, that Socrates resembles Aristotle, and that Plato resembles Aristotle, respectively. Then, what makes one true are the facts that Socrates resembles Plato and that Socrates resembles Aristotle, and what makes two true are the facts that Socrates resembles Plato and that Plato resembles Aristotle. This is a viable and interesting way of accounting for the truth makers of 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, but I am here interested in exploring a view according to which the truth makers of 3, 4, and 5 are Socrates and Plato Socrates and Aristotle, and Plato and Aristotle, respectively, but in which these three particulars make one and two true in different ways. Now, so, some people might have um, concerns about having facts in one's ontology, and therefore they might not very much like the kind of view that I have briefly, briefly described a moment ago. And that's why they might, they might say, no, you've got to solve the problem in a different way. Personally, I don't have uh, concerns with facts, and I think uh, the resemblance nominalist can account for facts in a proper way. But nevertheless, what I want to do today is to explore a different view according to which the truth makers of uh, one and two are Socrates and Plato, uh, uh, Socrates and Aristotle, and Plato and Aristotle, respectively. Sorry, sorry the, the truth makers of three, four, and five are Socrates and Plato, Socrates and Aristotle, and Plato and Aristotle, respectively. And those three particulars make one and two true, but they make them true in different ways. So how can different propositions have the same truth makers but be made true by them in different ways? Consider propositions eight and nine 
and take them to be true. There are no propositions six and seven in the handout because they belong to the part of the paper I decided not to, not to read. So consider propositions eight and nine and take them to be true. Suppose, for the sake of illustration, that propositions are made true by facts and that there are such facts as the fact that P and the fact that Q. If so, it would be standard to say that the disjunction is individually or separately made true by the fact that P and the fact that, and the fact that Q, while the conjunction is jointly made true by the fact that P and the fact that Q. Do these propositions have the same truth makers? Yes, they do. Both are true in virtue of the facts that P and that Q. For the fact that the conjunction has collective or joint truth makers doesn't mean that it has an individual truth maker of a rarefied kind. That the conjunction is jointly made true by the fact that P and the fact that Q does not mean that it bears the true in virtue of relation to some individual entity that somehow subsumes both the fact that P and the fact that Q. It means that it bears the true in virtue of relation to the fact that P and the fact that Q collectively without bearing it to them individually. Thus, eight and nine have the same truth makers. For the things to which the disjunction is related by the truth making relation, are the same as the things to which the conjunction is related by the truth-making relation. But there is a difference in how those things are related by the truth-making relation to those two propositions. The truth-making relation relates the fact that P and the fact that Q individually to the disjunction, but it relates them collectively to the conjunction. That is why the disjunction is individually or separately made true by the facts that P and the fact that Q but the conjunction is collectively made true by the facts that P and that Q. This is simply a difference in how these facts enter the truth-making relation, and so the fact that the conjunction has joint or collective truth-makers doesn't bring in any additional ontological commitments. The difference in how the fact that P and the fact that Q make propositions eight and nine true is what I intend to capture by saying that eight and nine are made true by the same truth-makers in different ways. Thus, two propositions can have the same truth makers while being made true by them in different ways, i.e. individually or collectively. Now, in the same way that the same entities can be related to some other entity individually or collectively, the same entities can be related to some other entity in different groups without all of them being collectively related to the entity in question and without each of them being individually related to the thing in question. For instance, a tree might be surrounded by A and B on the one hand and by C and D on the other without being surrounded by the four of them. This might happen if A and B surrounded at one time and C and D surrounded at a different time. But it might also happen if A and B, while surrounding the tree, are themselves surrounded by C and D. And it might also happen if C and D, while surrounding the tree, are standing on top of A and B, which are also surrounding the tree in question. We might say that in these cases, these things are related to the tree groupally without being related to it either collectively or individually. None of the things A, B, C, and D individually surround the tree, nor do they do it collectively, yet they do it groupally, A and B on the one hand and C and D on the other hand. Consider proposition 10 in the handout and assume that both disjuncts are true. If one thinks that the truth makers of a disjunction are the truth makers of its disjunct separately, 
and the truth makers of a conjunction are the truth makers of its conjuncts collectively, then 10 is made true by the facts that P and that Q on the one hand, and by the facts that R and that S on the other. But it is not made true collectively by the facts that P, that Q, that R, and that S. We might say that 10 is made true groupally by the facts that P, that Q, that R, and that S. It is made true by the facts that P and that Q on the one hand, and it is made true by the facts that R and that S on the other hand. Something I would like to emphasize about these cases is that although a thing can be surrounded groupally by some things, or being made true groupally by some things, this doesn't mean that there are any things involved in the situation other than those things to which the thing is related groupally. In the case of this junction 10, saying that it is made true by the facts that P and that Q, and also made true by the facts that R and that S, is not saying that there is any entity over and above the facts that P, that Q, that R, and that S. In particular, by saying that certain things are groupally related to another, I do not mean to reify any groups. Whether or not groups are entities, the things themselves bear the relation in this case, not any groups formed by them. Sometimes I will speak as if the groups were some of the relata in question, but that is only a manner of speaking. I do that only to avoid um, cumbersome expression. Uh, but I want to be taken as if the relata are not any groups, whether or not those groups exist, but the things which we say belong to the group or are in the group. Now, there are two ways in which some things can be related groupally to another thing. It might be that the groups bear the relation to the relatum separately, or it might be that the groups bear the relation to the relatum collectively. The cases I have described so far are such that the, that the entities that bear the relation groupally bear it separately groupally. That is, A, B, C, and D are such that they surround the tree groupally because A and B surround it and C and D surround it, but the tree is surrounded by each group separately. In this case, the tree bears the relation of being surrounded by to each group separately. The same is true in the case of this junction 10. The proposition bears the true in virtue of relation to the facts that P and that Q on the one hand, and it bears it to the facts that R and that S on the other hand. The two groups of facts make the proposition true separately. Now, some things might bear some relations to other things collectively groupally. Consider 11 and 12 and assume, for the sake of argument, not only that they are both true, but that they are two distinct propositions. It is plausible to think that the distinction between 11 and 12 is, re is reflected at the level of truth-making. In effect, it is plausible to think that although 12 is made true collectively by the facts that P, that Q, that R, and that S, this is not so in the case of 11. For 11 is made true by the facts that P and that Q on the one hand, together with the facts that R and that S on the other hand. Thus, neither the facts that P and that Q, nor the facts that R and that S, make 11 true separately. To make 11 true, the two groups together are needed. In this case, I shall say that 11 is made true by the facts that P, that Q, that R and that S, collectively groupally. That the facts that P, that Q, that R, and that S make a certain proposition true collectively groupally doesn't impose any additional ontological commitments with respect to those of having the facts that P, that Q, that R, and that S making a certain proposition true collectively. That is, the ontology required to account for what makes proposition 11 true 
is the same as that required to account for what makes Proposition 12 true. The same phenomenon of some things bearing a relation to another collectively, groupally, can be observed in relations other than truth-making. Consider the relation of being surrounded twice by. It might be that our tree bears the relation of being surrounded twice by to A, B, C, and D, but not because any one of them individually surrounded it twice, not because the four of them collectively surrounded it twice, but because A and B surrounded it at one time and C and D at another time, or because while surrounding it, C and D were standing on top of A and B, or because while surrounding it, A and B were surrounded by C and D. In any of these cases, the tree is surrounded by, the tree is surrounded twice by A, B, C, and D collectively, groupally. Now, back to resemblance nominalism. According to the line of thought I'm trying to develop here, to account for the truth-makers of one and two, one does not need to postulate any entities other than Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. But this doesn't mean that each one of them individually makes those propositions true, nor does it mean that the three of them collectively make them true. What happens is that they make them collectively, groupally true. That is, one is made true by Socrates and Plato together, together with Socrates and Aristotle together, and two is made true by Socrates and Plato together, together with Plato and Aristotle together. This makes it possible to say that although the entities that make propositions one and two true are the same, they made them true in different ways. The entities that made them true are Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, but those propositions are made true by these entities grouped in different ways. One is made true by Socrates and Plato together, together with Socrates and Aristotle together, while two is made true by Socrates and Plato together, together with Plato and Aristotle together. The ontology is the same in both cases, but the way in which the entities enter the truth-making relation is different. Thus, there is a way in which resemblance nominalism can account for the truth-makers of propositions one and two without postulating facts and invoking only resembling particulars. The truth-making predicate, and this is, this is in the handout, what I'm going to read now, the truth-making predicate is multigrade in its first place, since any number of things can make a proposition true. Thus, any number of arguments can occupy the first place of make true, or the predicate make true. These arguments can be either singular or plural, since sometimes some things collectively make a proposition true without individually making it true. But some entities can collectively make a proposition true without individually making it true means that the, predic the truth-making predicate is non-distributive, at least with respect to the arguments occupying its first place. A predicate F is said to be distributive if, in virtue of the meaning of F, whenever some things are F, each one of them is F. Thus, the predicate make true is non-distributive since the fact that x and the fact that y might be such that they make proposition p true without either being such that it makes it true. The non-distributivity of a predicate need not be thought to bring in any additional commitments. Thus, the fact that Socrates and Plato collectively or jointly make the proposition Socrates resembles Plato true brings no additional ontological commitments over and above those to Socrates and Plato. Let me introduce a new feature of predicates. I define F as an associative predicate if and only if, in virtue of the meaning of F, whenever some things are collectively groupally F, 
then they are collectively F. Thus, if F is an associative predicate, then if some things X and some things Y are collectively F, then for any things Z, such that something is one of the Zs, if and only if it is one of the Xs or one of the Ys, the Zs are collectively F. The predicate move the piano is an associative predicate. It is in virtue of the meaning of the predicate move the piano that if A and B, together with C and D, move the piano, then A, B, C, and D together move the piano. What I have been arguing is that the truth-making predicate is not only non-distributive, but also non-associative. The truth-making predicate is non-vacuously non-associative since, for instance, Socrates and Plato, the X's, and Socrates and Aristotle, the Y's, jointly or collectively make proposition one true, but Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, the Z's, do not collectively make it true. Truth-making is not the only non-associative predicate. Another such predicate is form two circles. Suppose A, B, C, and D are all of semicircular shape. Suppose that A and B are arranged so as to form a circle, and C and D are arranged so as to form another circle. Then A and B, together with C and D, form two circles. But it doesn't follow that A, B, C, and D collectively form two circles, since they do not collectively form any circles at all. That the truth-making predicate is non-associative shows that the truth-making predicate might sometimes be understood as taking a super-plural argument in the first place. And again, I think this is in the handout. Um, the expression Socrates and Plato together with Socrates and Aristotle is a super-plural expression, since it is a plural expression. It refers to Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and it refers to a plural expression that stands to the plural expressions Socrates and Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, as these stand to the singular terms Socrates and Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, respectively. So the truth-making predicate can sometimes function as a superplural predicate. I am not saying that the truth-making predicate always takes superplural arguments. I am saying that it can take such arguments. But sometimes it takes plural arguments. For instance, when we say that Socrates and Plato make the proposition Socrates resembles Plato true, meaning that they make it true collectively. And sometimes it takes singular arguments. For instance, when we say that Socrates makes the proposition Socrates exists true. Note that the line developed here rejects the thought that, in general, a conjunction is collectively made true by the truth makers of his conjuncts. For sometimes, a conjunction is made true collectively, groupally, by the truth-makers of his conjuncts. So it might be thought that this line of thought is not in the spirit of truth-maker theory, and that it is an ad hoc innovation made just to solve a certain difficulty. But if the possibility of many things collectively, but not individually making true a proposition is in the spirit of truth-maker theory, then the possibility of many entities collectively groupally making true a proposition, but not collectively making it true, is a natural extension of the original idea. Furthermore, the fact that there are relations other than truth-making that can be born collectively groupally without being born collectively should help, to, should help to dispel the sense that there is any ad hoc move here. So, to conclude, 
resemblance nominalism can give different accounts of the truth of one and two without using facts of resemblance. This requires taking those two propositions to have the same truth makers, but to be made true by them in different ways. That is, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle are the truth makers of both one and two, but they collectively groupally make one true in one way and collectively groupally make two true in another way. Thank you.